Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And we're the Old Dogs. We call this episode Vacation Hell, or Get Me Off This Cruise Ship. We'll start with a ramble about stuff we can't seem to stop buying. We'll tell the heartwarming tale of a missing dog who stopped being missing. We'll share the meaning of friends when you're homeless. We'll report on a cruise ship mutiny, minus Captain Bly. We'll talk about an Irishman who got the last laugh at his own funeral. And if you can stay awake for it, we'll give you some pointers on how to sleep better. The Old Dog's interview is with Linda and Jerry Patchen, a couple who have spent their entire married lives searching for inner peace, universal truth, and justice for Native Americans. Stay with us. Say, Jim, yes, I know this is hazardous, but what's on your mind? I'm glad you asked, Paul. What's on my mind today is uh, sort of recalling a few episodes ago, we were talking about downsizing. Yes. And uh, I thought it was good advice that we were giving ourselves. Yes. Uh, And it sort of led me to start thinking about what I buy and what I'm continuing to buy and why. Yeah, right. That's 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 counter downsizing. Counter to downsizing, but it's habit forming. You know the things that you continue to buy because you always have. Like what? Well, for example, tools. I love tools, but am I likely to use any new tools? At this point, I gotta say no. Are you one of those guys that has like ten different kinds of pliers? I have probably five different kinds of pliers. <laughs> okay, time yeah. to quit. Yeah. Uh, For me, it can be books. Uh, I am very impulsive when it comes to books. I'll see a book and I'll go, hey, I I would enjoy reading that, except it just ends up on the shelf. So periodically I have to slough off those books that I bought impulsively. Yeah. I I do that too, except that I am more of a Kindle guy now, and so I don't really look at books as an option. I mean, hardback books. Yeah. Uh, Although I love all the books you've given me, Paul. That's, that's yes. an exception. Well, we should we should tell folks that we have a tradition, Jim and I, of buying books for each other that we are not at all interested in, <laughs> and so we have, each have a dedicated shelf in our home to books that were given as a gift uh, without any thought whatsoever. I'm, you're being harsh. Uh, no, yeah, I, I am. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's another hazardous thing mm. if we're talking about stopping the buying is going through Costco. Um, I confess, I am a Costco junkie, huh. and I will sometimes, not a lot, but sometimes buy stuff that was a good idea only because it was there in front of you, and you go, gee, I do need that car cup that keeps a drink either mm-hmm. hot or cold and uh, will suspend from your uh, visor, you know? Car cups. Keeps it hot or cold. How does it know? Well, these are sentient <laughs> car well, cups. No wonder you would want one. Gadgets in general, I think, are kind of a, a magnet for me. Well, that kind of is, is an offshoot of tools. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, what have you bought that you go, why, afterwards? A thing that I plug another thing into. Uh, just in <laughs> general. <laughs> well, I tell you, that opens up a whole world of possibilities. Really? There. And I'd rather not describe it in any more detail. Uh, and that. I don't think our listeners would care to have you describe it any more than that. You're welcome. It's not unusual for a dog to go missing and then later get reunited with her owner. 
but after 12 years? This item is from the Washington Post for October 4th, 2019. Duchess is a fox terrier that dashed out the door of her owner's house in Orlando and disappeared in 2007. Catherine Strang tried all the usual means to reconnect with Duchess. She posted lost dog signs and visited local shelters for months. No luck. But she continued to hold out hope as the years passed by. And here's why. Catherine got a call from the Humane Animal Rescue in Pittsburgh, which is almost a thousand miles from Orlando. Duchess was found under a shed in the Pittsburgh area, hungry and shivering, and taken to the animal shelter. Fortunately, the dog had an implanted microchip, and they were able to track down the owner in Florida. No one knows how Duchess traveled the 1,000 miles to Pittsburgh or what she's been doing for the last 12 years. But if the dog could talk, it would probably be a doggone good story. Did you write that? Mm-hmm. Was that in the article? Mm, no. Coy Featherston was a popular student in high school graduating in 1971 in Corpus Christi. The yearbook called him Best All-Around Boy. Decades later, he was homeless and living on the streets. But his luck was about to turn around thanks to some friends from high school. This item is from the Washington Post for October 15, 2019. Coy was photographed pushing an overloaded shopping cart to illustrate a story on homelessness in the Austin American Statesman. Leah Meckling, a friend from high school, recognized the name, if not the shabby appearance. After four days of searching, she finally located her old friend. Meckling loaded his belongings in her truck and moved him into her spare bedroom. Since then... A bunch of Featherston's friends have reconnected with him. They've donated clothes and other supplies, helped him navigate his Social Security benefits, and raised $10,000 through a GoFundMe page. Does Coy find all this attention embarrassing? In his words, It seems as though I've become the poster boy for homeless citizens in Austin. I want people to be aware of the fact that this can happen to them, too. He could have added, But you've got to have friends. Many people like cruises. They enjoy being shipped from port to port without having to pack their bags. And the food is bountiful, if not exactly for stars. But it seems that when cruises go wrong, they really go wrong. This pod nugget is from the New York Times for October 11th, 2019. A ship called the Norwegian Spirit set out from Southampton, England for a 14-day cruise. There were planned stops in the Netherlands, Norway, and Iceland. But bad weather forced the ship to plan new stops. Some of the new stops were also canceled as the bad weather continued. Passengers ended up being stuck at sea for three days. At this point, the ship was also having some problems with backed-up plumbing. Uh-oh. It was starting to smell like sewage in public areas. While a group of passengers had a rally in the ship's atrium, they posted images and video of their revolt on Twitter and YouTube. They were holding up signs and chanting, Refund! Refund! One video even showed crew members being chased up a staircase by angry vacationers. A disgruntled passenger described the scene as a riot and open rebellion. 
A spokesperson for the cruise line asked for patience and understanding, stating that bad weather was an act of God and couldn't be controlled, influenced, or remediated by the ship's crew. They offered passengers a 25% refund on a future cruise. This did not placate the mob, and chants of refund, refund echoed through the ship. The Norwegian spirit docked a few days later in Southampton. The dispirited passengers left the ship vowing to never take another cruise. They may not have gotten a full refund, but at least they succeeded in forcing the ship to reach land. You might call the rebellion mutiny on the bountiful cruise ship. Or I might not. Or you might not. An Irishman with a sense of humor got the last laugh at his funeral. This pod nugget is from Sky News, October 14th, 2019. Shea Bradley had been ill for a long time, and he knew he wasn't getting any better. So he cooked up what would be his final joke with his son Jonathan. The plan was complete almost a year before he died. It involved a hidden recorder and a speaker. As his coffin was being lowered into his grave, mourners heard Shay saying, Let me out! It's blanking dark in here! Of course, he didn't really say blanking. Where the blank am I? Is that a priest I can hear? This is Shay. I'm in the box! He then sang, Hello again, hello, hello, I just called to say goodbye. After an initial shock, his family and friends broke out in giggles. They knew it was his way of saying, enough sadness, it's time to celebrate my life. So they finished the burial and gave him an amazing send-off at a nearby pub. Of course, a party loud enough to wake the dead. Was that a Swedish accent? It was. Do you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to fall asleep again? Yes, I do. Insomnia is a big issue for folks our age. I know it is for me. Well, here is some advice from the Smarter Living section of the New York Times for October 21st, 2019. The next time you find yourself staring at the ceiling at 3 a.m., try these six things. Remain in bed. To fall asleep, your heart rate needs to slow down. Getting up elevates it. Avoid the impulse to use the bathroom just because you're awake or make a midnight snack. Stay in the dark. Your eyes can be drawn to LED indicator lights on electronics or lights streaming through curtains from exterior lighting. To avoid these distractions, try a sleep mask. Block out noise. It doesn't need to be completely silent to fall asleep, but the sound needs to be monotonous. This signals the brain it's safe to sleep. If this is an issue, sleep with a fan running or a white noise machine. Adjust the temperature. If the room feels warm, adjust the thermostat to 65 degrees, which fosters sleep. A cool core and warm skin are best for sleep. A cool core comes from breathing cool air, and warm skin comes from your bedding. Quiet your mind. Thinking about past events or upcoming challenges can cause a surge in stress-related hormones that elevate your heartbeat. Keep your brain busy with thoughts that don't trigger emotional responses, like doing simple math problems in your head. Or counting sheep? (laughs) Getting up is your last resort. If after 20 minutes you're still awake, leave the bedroom and do some reading or another quiet activity. Avoid stressing out about why you can't fall asleep. If you're experiencing frequent bouts of insomnia no matter what you try, consult a sleep specialist. 
there may be a medical issue such as sleep apnea. Linda and Jerry Patchen met and married in the 60s, a time of great change in society. This was a change both of them embraced in many ways, leading to a lifetime of inner and outer exploration. Now in their 70s, they haven't lost their passion for self-discovery. Here's how it all came about. Jerry and Linda, we'd like to start by asking you to comment on the 60s. With all that was going on back then, what in particular drew you to that scene back in the 60s? Well, the culture was going through a mass transformation in terms of uh, dress, music, art, uh, sex, uh, drugs. Uh, There was a whole zeitgeist, a spirit of the times that was transformational. Uh, And uh, I think people our age were drawn to that, and we were. Uh, likewise attracted. And what specifically attracted you to that? What was the thing that really got you involved with the zeitgeist of the 60s? I knew that I didn't want to uh, live uh, and conform to what the generations had done before me down in South Texas. When I came to Houston and decided to come to Houston, I realized and started looking around and realized that it was just a mass consciousness that was going on. And I I started to see myself in a lot of the different movements and my feelings were being clarified as to how I felt about a lot of things that were going on. Okay. And Jerry? Um, Certainly there were things like transcendental meditation music, uh, art, uh, the resistance to the war, but I think the psychedelic culture. Uh, And my experience with that culture was uh, a major transformation of my reality. So uh, why did you decide to go to law school? Well, now, uh, it was just a traditional path to have a career and employment, and part of it was the draft deferment because I was not uh, interested in the Vietnam War. I thought it was misguided, and certainly that was reinforced uh, in law school among my law school peers. Do you think, Jerry, that uh, your experience in law school that you had opened up your consciousness to new ideas and the ideas that were being discussed in law school, did they seem to be differently informed because of your experience in the new consciousness? Well, I think so. And uh, when I was in law school, uh, I was uh, uh, selected uh, to be uh, involved in student government. I was the attorney general in student government, and our student government was quite liberal. We supported SDS, the Students for Democratic uh, Society. So we wanted to go to uh, the uh, Democratic Convention uh, and uh, protest the war, And so just part of that 
uh, environment uh, challenging the old guard and resisting uh, the war was in uh, uh, the zeitgeist at the time, the, the Beatles, the music, all we are saying is give peace a chance. The, uh, the thought that uh, people could work together and practice peace and love. So, Linda, what, uh, what were you studying at the time? I started with sociology, and then uh, uh, when I came to Houston, it was culture shock. So I ended up uh, learning about merchandising and and interior design. Uh, I was in a social uh, Harris County community action programs. I was in the planning department of that. I was out in the field with uh, parks helping kids. So uh, we have to uh, deal with the Native American church. Uh, tell us how you first got involved with that group. I have always been attracted to the underdog, so to speak, and I had a an attraction uh, to Indian people as a result of some of the uh, experimentation with psychedelics that was going on in the 60s. I had an experience uh, with mescaline as a uh, law student, a striving attorney. I wanted to stay within the law. I realized that Indian people uh, had a right to use uh, as a sacrament in religious ceremonies uh, Peyote, and this, again, was the active ingredient in mescaline. And so Linda and I took a pilgrimage down to South Texas, and uh, we met the Indians that come down uh, once a year and have a traditional prayer service and use peyote as a sacrament. And uh, so... The Indians, in a very welcoming and open-hearted way, honored our sincerity, and we were sincere. We were looking for something good in our lives. We weren't looking to joy trip, and we got involved with the Indians. And as a young attorney, I started uh, representing them, and it was our my honor and our honor to be among Indian people, uh, for me to represent them in court involving protecting their right to use their traditional sacrament peyote, which goes back 6,000 years in the Americas. Linda and Jerry, when we talked earlier, you mentioned your long association with Esalen and your friendship with its founder, Michael Murphy. Can you tell us more about that? Well, I'm going to start my story. Of course, when you go to college, you get Time Magazine. Back in those days, they just sent you the subscriptions. And there was a little paragraph about Esalen. It, it fascinated me. And then I would donate $15 and you got a catalog. I flip through it, dream, and discard it. Then uh, in Houston, somebody uh, started a spiritu, which was a 
of a copycat of Esalen in a local, very local way. And I checked into that and I had a friend and, uh, she and I just connected and we'd go to the yoga classes at the Houstonian and this and that. And because I was in the, um, mailing list of Esalen, uh, I was invited to a fundraiser at her house and I was shocked to find out that she was live, living this parallel life of knowing Michael Murphy. So it's then we have become super good friends. We started going there. We started doing uh, integral transformative practice. Jerry became a member of the ITP International Board. And, uh, of course, Michael Murphy would be around when we go to board meetings. And fascinating, fascinating man. For those of us that are not that familiar with Esalen, can you give me a short couple of sentences explaining it? In the 60s, Esalen was the spear point of the human potential movement. And uh, people flocked to Esalen, whether it was Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, Aldous Huxley, just a tremendous gathering of kindred uh, souls uh, that were supporting uh, new ideas, expanded awareness, uh, experimenting with consciousness. Jerry and Linda, your lives have taken the path of personal growth and social activism. Uh, What have you learned that you can pass on to our listeners? Uh, The idea of continuing Uh, to learn, to grow, to renew your spirit, to reach out and be of service uh, to others, to promote and advocate peace uh, and love, to be involved in uh, stimulating communities, to connect with nature. There's a whole potpourri of uh, positive Uh, activities that you can engage in at any age that continue to uh, enrich your life, your being, your soul. Uh, Keep that process going in our lives because it leads to happiness, wholeness, resilience, and longevity. Linda, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I'll I'll put it in a nutshell and just say always transforming and evolving spiritually, mentally, physically, and in my soul. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.